If you're listening to this, you're a mortgage pro who is probably wanting to scale your mortgage business. Scott has created a $25 million mortgage blueprint that'll help you lay the foundation to help you achieve $25 million or more in annual production. If you are already crushing $25 million, no worries. There is a $50 and $100 million blueprint for those who qualify. You can find out more at www.ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash blueprint. That's www.ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash blueprint. I still can't tell where my business is going to come from. I never knew... You know, if I looked, walked into a crowd, I never knew who was going to be the person that would want to sit down and talk with me. But I do know that if I talk to a finite number of people, that a certain number of people are going to have, you know, whatever issues that they have, where my skill set is going to help them. Where the best mortgage brokers get better. I love mortgage brokering with your host, Scott Peckford. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here from $100 Million Journey, Episode 2. This is a new project we're working on, and we're jacked. It's a new video series and a podcast series called The $100 Million Journey. We're going to apply the best of what we've learned in 160-plus interviews in real time and apply it to my business partner's business with the goal of getting her from $8 million a year in production to $100 million in production. We're going to video document the ups and downs of what it takes to build a $100 million business. Over the next 12 months, we'll be producing two podcast interviews per month with high-producing mortgage pros who can help Jules on her journey. We may even have a specialist or two depending on what we find Jules needs help with. Our hope is that you can learn from our mistakes and successes so you can go out and scale the business of your dreams. On this episode, I talked to J.D. Smythe. J.D. was on the show way back on episode 110. Now, truthfully, out of 160 plus interviews I've done, J.D.'s story of how he built his business from literally no clients to needing to hire an assistant in four months was incredibly inspiring. I know that J.D. had told me that people had reached out to him from Australia, from all over the place saying, wow, this is so amazing. And the question that you guys kept asking is, okay, what what did he do after that? So it was great that he went and had this strategy to go out and build this business, but what happened in months four and five? So I wanted to have J.D. back and ask him, uh, what did he do next? J.D. shares how he applied his mad prospecting skills to target accountants, financial advisors, and other centers of influence in order to continue to scale his business. It's, it's an awesome interview. It's an incredibly inspiring story. I also asked J.D. for advice on Jules and her $100 million journey. This was such a fun episode. I hope you love it. This show is sponsored by ClientCaller.com. Now, after all these interviews that I've done, I can tell you with absolute certainty, one of the most effective ways to increase your business is to consistently call your past clients. The key word, of course, being consistently. I can also tell you that most brokers struggle with this because they get too busy working in their business. Client Caller is an amazing service where professional calling assistant calls your past clients for you. The cool thing is they use your phone number on the caller ID, your voice on the voicemail, so the callers look like they're sitting in your office. However, our callers are located in North America and love talking on the phone. The feedback has been amazing. You can check out testimonials at clientcaller.com. If you're interested in getting set up on this service, visit clientcaller.com and check it out. That's clientcaller.com. Hey, JD, welcome back to the show. Thanks very much. I'm looking forward to it. So if you haven't listened to the original show that I did with JD, he, he told a story about how he basically built his business incredibly fast and i'm going to get him to sort of talk about that and then we're going to and it basically you were i'm going to paraphrase here but you went to the home depot parking lots and you would basically meet contractors and you had a ton of people reach out to you about this people from as far away as like australia 
and said that was a, it was an amazing story, very inspiring. And but I want to know what happened next, and so I want to know the next story. So maybe first, JD, if you don't mind, just tell us for anybody who didn't hear that, tell us how you got started in that first sort of three to four months, and then we're going to move on to sort of what happened next after that. It was pretty simple. I came out of an industry that was very directly sales related. And uh, when I got into the mortgage business, I really didn't know where to start or how to market. So I just went to what I knew. At that point, I used to sell primarily to people who were self-employed. I picked uh, a certain segment, which happened to be contractors, although any self-employed person would have worked. And uh, I took my story to them. I had a very defined pitch. I had very specific goals in terms of how many people I wanted to talk to on a daily basis. I tracked my results. And, uh, you know, I converted basically out of 20 people, I would convert, uh, out of 20 people that I would approach, I would convert one into a, a mortgage. It got to the point within a, a very short period of time that I got a bit of a snowball effect that we were busy all the time and probably within six months, uh, to the point where I wasn't doing any marketing whatsoever anymore. I wasn't even out selling at that point. We were just trying to process the deal flow. I hired an assistant and kind of went from there. Where would you meet these people and how would the pitch sound? So, I mean, I did a lot of work. I went to, you know, construction sites, identified people and contractors and parking lots by the truck. I would even go into small storefront businesses and I would identify myself as James Smythe. I would walk in, I'd say, how you doing? My name is James. Uh, I work with people who are primarily self-employed in the area of finance. And as you're aware, you don't have access to the same pool of funds as somebody who has a regular job. So if you ever need to buy a house or or source income for your business, you don't have that option. But there are programs specifically designed for people who are self-employed. And uh, one of the things I take pride in is that I'm able to go over those in quite a bit of detail and help you if you need, need anything. Um, if you have some time, I could start working with you right now. Right. So that, that's it. Essentially, it's like cold. You'd walk into a business and and then what kind of responses did you get from that? You know, initially people would uh, you know be a little startled that someone was coming up to them. But Usually within about three to five minutes, I'd either gotten a firm no, which was fine with me, or I'd booked a time to do an application on the phone or in person for a mortgage. And so you you approach 20, and then how many people would you get meetings with? So it worked out to be, uh, you know, I would do 20 to get five leads. Out of the five leads, I'd do three applications, convert into one mortgage. Right. That's amazing. Okay. So, and, and I've talked to some other people who heard this story. Their mind was like, this is so crazy. It works. They've had, you've had other people that have reached out to you and said, Hey, I've done a version of this and I had success with it. So, but what happened next? So I understand you did this first, basically, you know, the first three to six months, then you got so crazy busy just processing files. So, but what was the next evolution of how you built your business? Well, as funny as it sounds, and, and I can't remember where I heard it, but I was at a seminar and people were talking about centers of influence and what uh, and that that resonated with me so what i started doing at that point was is i took a similar process and i started looking not for individual clients because at that point i was getting pretty proficient at sourcing those but i was always afraid that uh, you know i was going to run out of those deals and it is a little bit labor intensive and once you start to, to process business it becomes a bit of a challenge so what i then did was i took the same type of process but I started to target uh, people who could were in a position that they could send me business on a regular basis. And so I identified certain areas, accountants, lawyers. I did a lot of work with a trustee, collection agents at that point. I did a lot of work with where, you know, people were negotiating debt or had debt that we were paying out as a process of the mortgage. All those companies, you know, had similar types of clients and it was an easily uh, identifiable need. And so I started to, you know, develop scripts of what I thought were sort of the key points that would speak to those industries and create a, a scenario where 
you know, rather than asking them to send me business, I'd offer to help them generate more business for themselves by creating opportunities through, uh, through finance. Okay. Give me an example. So pick one of those. So let's say which one collection agent or accountant, what would that, if I'm an accountant, first so, of all, how would you, how would you find me? Like, cause I'm sitting in my office doing accounting stuff. Would you show up to my office? Would you phone me? What was that? What did that look like? I did both. If I saw an accountant's office and I saw a sign, I'd walk in. I feel like nothing has a better impact or a bigger impact than somebody walking in and talking to you face to face. It's easy to blow people off on the phone. The only difference is, is it takes more time to do it that way. Mm -hmm. So I did a mix uh, and I got slightly different results, both good and, and effective. It's just, I got a little bit more rejection on the phone than I did in person. But long story short, I'd walk in and I'd say, you know, how you doing? My name is James Smythe. I do a lot of work with accountants specifically helping them with clients that have Revenue Canada arrears. You know, as you're aware, a lot of people come in, you know, specifically your self-employed clients, they have, you know, reassessments, they have uh, arrears and taxes, whatever the case may be. And a lot of these people have equity that uh, is untapped in their homes or even, you know, sometimes in equipment. You know, it's sitting there and they're trying to struggle, you know, to make the payments while we're... Uh, sitting on this revenue that they could be using to, you know, jump back into their business. Uh, so if you run into anything like that, by all means, give me a call. And if you have anybody off the top of your head, I'd be willing to discuss the file right now, see if we can help you generate more business. And uh, typically they would be very open to hearing that because this is a, a problem that their clients were facing on a daily basis. You know, we did real well with it. I typically didn't approach them while they were in their busy period. So if it was an accountant, I wouldn't approach them, you know, before May 1st. So I, you know, I tried to understand their businesses, but at that point I just focus on other areas too. Right. Okay. So that, that, so if I'm an accountant and you come to me and I got clients that are stressing out about tax arrears and you say, Hey, I, this is what I specialize in. I'd be like, I would, you would certainly get my attention. So how did, what did you do with say lawyers? What was that conversation like? And what type of lawyers were they that you'd target? Uh, again, lawyers, uh, again, typically what I do is I talk to lawyers and, and I did a lot of family law at that point. Mm -hmm. But long story short, there was always equalization typically in a divorce case. And so uh, I'd look for family law. I'd also do a lot of work with the real estate lawyers that I did a lot of work with myself. But basically what I go in and say is, is look, my name is James Smythe. I'm the guy that, that does a lot of work in the area of equalization for clients when they are running into a divorce proceeding. And I uh, realize that you probably come into this type of client all the time, you know, and uh, it'll help speed things along. And one of the problems that uh, family lawyers always concerned about is whether or not they're going to be able to collect their fees at the end, because these people are obviously under a lot of stress. And, mm -hmm. and so it was also a way of securing their fees or getting their fees in a much more timely fashion. And it also sped their case a little long and, and that was good for all parties. People are always tuned into WIIFM, what's in it for me. And so if you're a family lawyer and you have clients that are stressed out not paying you and you can speak to that, you're going to, you're, I'm going to tune into that, right? That's exactly. So then let's talk, last one I want to ask you, what is realtors? So what did you do? Because you had mentioned before we started recording that realtors were actually the last place you went because you're like, hey, everybody's doing realtors, so I might as well go after these other areas. So what How did your? What was your realtor strategy like? So there was two things that I did. The first thing I did was is any time I did a deal for a client that was on a purchase, I always realized there was a second side to it. So at the end of the purchase, I would always contact the real estate agent that handled the other side of the deal. And that always had a – it was a nice in – I walked in or I'd call up and I'd say, look, my name is James Smythe. You had a property that just sold at, and I was the, the mortgage broker that took care of the financing for that client. 
And uh, one of the things that I do is, is, is I do a lot of work with realtors specifically in, in areas to help them generate more business. If you have a couple minutes, I can come by your office and explain how. So then, okay, I'm a realtor. I'm like, okay, yeah, you seem like a nice guy. What happens next? So at that point, what I did was is I'd go into the office and I had a little bit of a presentation, very specific. I'd, I'd basically say, look, a lot of clients or a lot of mortgage brokers are coming to you just looking for clients. But here's the deal. The only reason that you're going to want to send business to me is if I'm adding value to your business. So here's what I can provide. First thing I want to do is make sure that if you have a client that's sitting at a desk and uh, they want to put an offer in on a property and you're not sure if they're going to qualify, we're going to pre-qualify them for you almost right away. I've got uh, people on staff that can do approvals for you at any given time. And at that point, the people on staff was myself and my assistant, Chris. Right, but they, they didn't know that. <laughs> well, and they didn't care. They don't care. No, at the end of the day, they don't care. Just do it. And then the second thing would be is, is then I'd say, okay, and in addition to that, I have and it's all the tools that we all have access to. It's just making sure that we communicate those things to our realtors. You know, I had open house sheets that we used to do for them. So if they had an open house and they wanted a feature sheet, I printed for them. I printed for them in color. On the back, I'd give them what the house would carry for. Mm -hmm. But I'd bear that cost. So if they wanted 50 sheets instead of going to the copier and doing it themselves, we do it. We deliver to the open house. We'd make sure that they had access. You know, the pre-qualification was a big deal. I also identified the fact that we had sort of a, uh, an expertise at that point because I was doing the self-employed mortgages and some of the credit challenge clients that we had access to systems and procedures that would unlock a lot of capital for people who maybe wouldn't qualify through a, a main lender. And so they could sell more homes to more clients from a much broader, you know, block of life. Right. Everything we talked about when we would sit down would be about ways to generate revenue for them. One of the things at one point I did, uh, although I don't always necessarily think it's the best uh, process. So one of the things I did for them was uh, at one point I bought a truck, a Q van. Mm -hmm. We put it on the road. You know, for realtors that were sending us repetitive business, we would always offer that as a, a mechanism for people to move with. Mm -hmm. Did you have it logoed up or anything? So what I did was is I had, for, again, for the client, the realtors that were doing a lot of work with us at the time, what we did was is we had magnets for the truck. Right. And so when the truck showed up, the magnet would actually have the realtor's information, not ours. Right. See, you intuitively understand that you need to make it about other people in order to generate to be successful. And so you weren't like, hey, here's a JD's on the side of the truck. You're, that's awesome. So you basically had a cube van decals that got switched out all the time, depending on who used it. Right. We, we also did at one point, we did a program with florist. We used to do welcome gifts for and baskets for the realtors, again, to the clients, but in their name or in a joint fashion as opposed to just ours which again is you know if you've got a, if you're a realtor and you've got a budget for that and somebody else is taking care of it all the better right right it's just like another one another way to add value okay so then that sounds like okay when you started out then we moved into going after the centers of influence so what's happening today so what's your business look like and how are you generating business and because obviously there's like a evolution of your mortgage business right so I think probably the biggest uh, the biggest thing that that sort of changed is is, is at this point we've got you know we've got about ten thousand files in our database. Now that's not ten thousand clients. A lot of that is repeat business, right? So people buy a house, they refinance, they sell, they buy another one, whatever the case may be. So let's say that I've got about uh, fifteen hundred to two thousand clients, right? And that's probably a legitimate number. One of the things that I can tell you now is that 
you know, that database keeps me busy on an ongoing basis. So, you know, the bulk of my business at this point comes from in-house. It's people that are recalling or calling me up or kids of the people that I've done mortgages in the past. It's, it's sort of an evolution that way. What I am aware of, though, is that there's always going to be attrition in your database. People are going to die. People are going to move, you know, too far away and you stop becoming convenient or you just may not jive with some people. So what I'm looking for is always to replenish 20% of my, my database on a yearly basis. And I figure that's going to increase my, my total database and re replace anybody that I lose. So how do you do that? What's, what things are you doing to replace that 20%? So I, again, I'm very similar to the same stuff that I always have. If there's a realtor that we do business with and we've never done business with them in the past, I always book a time to sit down with them. If there's any, anywhere that there's a center of influence that we haven't dealt with, Whatever the process, we're always looking for those people to uh, to cement a relationship with. We also do a lot of drip campaigns, and I say that, and I, I told you this, and it's funny, but you know, I have very generic stuff going out. We send out birthday cards on their birthday. We send out newsletters. We send out rate reminders. None of it's really, really spectacular stuff, but it just is stuff there to remind them that we're still here. Mm -hmm. We're still in the business. And we're still uh, looking forward to speaking to them. One of the other things I mentioned is, is, is I'm very aware that I get a fair amount of business through social media. Mm -hmm. And when I say social media, primarily Facebook is, is where I get it from. What are you, what are you doing on social media? <laughs> so I had a, a conversation with a guy named Neil Schaefer. At, uh, it was courtesy of, of Genworth. I won a, a draw at one of the conventions. And so uh, he had written a book on social media and we sat down one day. And uh, he gave me some pointers on my social media. The first thing that I did was, is I made sure that I didn't just post business stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you're ever on my Facebook, uh, it's my Facebook. It's not a business page. So you're going to see pictures of me. You're going to see pictures of my family. You're going to see pictures of me at the beach, which you may or may not want to tune into. Who knows? You know, long story short, it's my Facebook page. But what I also do is, is I, you know, I have a certain amount of content that's about me. And that just tells people that you're a real person because nobody wants to do business with a robot. Mm -hmm. And the business pages get very sterile. And that was the first tip that uh, this guy, Neil Shaver, gave me was, uh, you know, don't just make it about business or about uh, soliciting business because people will tune out to that and they'll stop following you. And then what I do is I intersperse in that any commentary that I have about the in industry. The first thing I want to do is I want to make sure it's positive. So I won't complain. You'll never see on my page that I'm doing a rant. I'm not complaining about other brokers. I'm not complaining about the industry. I'm not complaining about banks. The information that I have in there is I try to make it salient. I try to make it relevant. And even if I do complain, because one of the things I did have a bit of a pet peeve on, I didn't like the new legislation that was introduced in October. But I always try to make sure that people are aware that uh, – you know, if you don't agree with it, there's something you can do about it. You can be empowered. You know, it's all about your next vote. It's all about playing your MP. If you think it's wrong and it's impacting you, then as a group, we can change it. But at the end of the day, I don't want to make it just about that. We talk about uh, supporting the lender channel. We talk about what's going on in the industry and how it impacts people on, on a day in and day out basis. And if they're experiencing problems. So you don't have a business page at all. I did originally and I, I closed it down. I just use a personal page and I make sure that people know that I'm a person and this is what I do. Right. I just jumped on your Facebook page and I can see you were in Greece or where were you? Somewhere, some European place it looks like. 
I got married in November. My wife and I went to Italy and Greece on a cruise. People are far more interested in that than they are in my, my business stuff. But what's nice is, is they, they may tune in and take a look at all the pictures of, of us in, in Greece and Italy. And it was fantastic. It was our honeymoon. But then, you know, when it comes time to do their mortgage, they're going to think of me. The other thing about Facebook that I find is, is we're engaged with a lot of people. And a lot of people talk about a lot of life events. If somebody, you know, says, woohoo, just bought a house. Why not ask them? You know, I understand just bought a house. I'm sure you've got financing in place, but on the off chance you want a second opinion, I'm here right. to help. I just want to make sure you're taken care of. Your whole demeanor though is you're a pro at selling, but you're not like sleazy sales, like the car sales guys, like greasy hands and like, hey, what kind of, what is it going to take to get you into this car today? I think that approach is people are not, are taken, pushed off by that for sure. And you don't have that approach. Well, and it's funny because I don't really consider myself a salesman. I went to school to be a paramedic. I think that you did too. Mm -hmm. And I consider myself a paramedic that happens to do mortgages. That's awesome. And I never recommend anything that I wouldn't do myself. One of the things I love about your story and just, it's so simple, the stuff that you're suggesting, the reality is that most people won't do it because, and I think my thinking is that because of fear of rejection. So I got to talk to 20 people to get one person that's actually do business with me. And so how do you handle, like what's going through your mind? Because I think, hey, I put my heart on my, you know, my hand, I say, hey, I'd love to help you. And if they say, go away, like how do you dust yourself off and keep going? I guess that's what I'm trying to understand. Okay. So the first thing that I had to realize was that it was never personal. People always have stuff going on. There's always a reason that they're not going to talk to you. It may be that they don't like you, but generally it's that they're in a rush to get to the next place or, you know, they've had a bad experience somewhere else and who knows. But at some point I realize it's not personal. And at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter to me because it, I'm not going to have to deal with them again anyway. The only people that I really care about are the ones that I'm working with on a day in day out basis. So that was the first thing. And then what I started to realize, and I, I kind of made it like a game. If I know that I talk to 20 people and 15 of them are just going to get, are going to give me a rejection. But I know at the end of that, that I can turn that into a paycheck. And let's say that my average deal is $2,000 in commissions. And it's probably higher than that now. But uh, back then it was probably $2,000. All I ever did was, I thought, okay, how much do I want to make this month? And how many people do I have to talk to, to do that? And that means that I have to get this many no's to get to my paycheck. And if somebody said, you know, if you want to make $10,000, are you prepared to talk to however many people it is and have them say no to you? Right. And most people would say yes. They have no issue with that. I don't think that people are afraid of the rejection. I think that they're going to, they're afraid that they're going to get only rejection and it's not going to turn into, into something at the end of the day. But I don't believe that that happens. So do you, did you have any days though that you were discouraged when you'd go out and you'd feel like you just like, it was like falling downstairs? I had them all the time. And some days it got to me and I didn't complete my numbers, but it's just like anything else. When you go to the gym, if you're committed to it, you're going to get results. Nothing in this life of value comes without some sort of sacrifice or cost. And I just realized that that rejection was the cost that I had to pay to generate the type of income that I wanted to generate. Mm -hmm. That's really good. You know, my daughter and I, she got me into doing archery with her. So we had an archery lesson and the guy is like, don't worry about the bullseye, focus on the process, not the result. And I was like, man, that's such a good advice because he's like, if you do everything the right way, you, you know, set everything up and you keep practicing it, you will hit the bullseye, but you don't focus on that. And he said that even with kids, they actually take the bullseye right off the, they kind of cover it up so that they just say, Hey, focus on process. And so it's like, you're saying, 
If you focus on the process, which is talking to enough people, the results will happen. I still can't tell where my business is going to come from. I never knew, you know, if I looked, walked into a crowd, I never knew who was going to be the person that would want to sit down and talk with me. But I do know that if I talk to a finite number of people, that a certain number of people are going to have, you know, whatever issues that they have, where my skill set is going to help them. Long story short, I stopped trying to solicit people ever. What I did do is I talked to people, tell them what I do. And if they had any issues, and everybody has issues with regard to finance at some mm -hmm. point, they would generally want to talk to somebody that deals with that on a regular basis. And so I just wanted to make sure that I presented a professional image and uh, was very forthright with people. And if they liked who I was and the stuff that I was speaking to was salient to them, they would tend to want to do business with me. You said you were a paramedic or trained to be a paramedic. Like how far did you go down that road before you changed into finance? So I, I actually started off, I graduated, was working part-time on a contract and had done that for a number of years, hurt my back. And I wasn't sure that I was going to have the longevity in that career that I thought I could. And uh, so uh, I had lots of free time. I started off actually in the insurance business. Mm -hmm. uh, I got my insurance license and I got my mutual funds license and then I transitioned into the uh, mortgage business. And uh, I found that I was doing better at those things than I ever could on the, uh, on the ambulance. I think I did well because I was never focused on trying to sell people. I just always really wanted to help. And uh, I think that came across. And I never give them advice that I wouldn't take myself. So one of the things that we're currently working on, so I Love Mortgage Brokering is evolving into this $100 million journey. So what advice would you give us as we're trying to, this is probably a four or five year journey, by the way. This is not like, I don't expect this to be like, hey, look, in six months, look what we did. But the goal is to take the best ideas and strategies from all these people like yourself and apply it to our business. So what advice would you give us in this journey that we're currently on? Become an expert at whatever it is that you are going to give advice on. And then uh, weigh in on it whenever you can. I think that people tend to want to do business with somebody that they perceive to be exceptional. Mm -hmm. And so if you're only exceptional in one area, you can make a good living. If you become exceptional in a couple of areas, you're going to make a tremendous living. But you're never going to be good at everything. Right. And so what areas would you say you feel like you're an expert in? Well, certainly in the beginning, I became an expert in uh, self-employed. People who were working for themselves always had a challenge getting financing. And I think that that was probably a very easily identifiable niche for me. The second thing that I, I sort of did was is I became very conscious of the products that I was selling. So I don't know if you remember back in the day, they used to have GE money used to have a one plus product. Mm -hmm. And the second thing that I did was at that point I was working in sort of the credit challenged area. So what I did was is I would initially, you know, I didn't do a lot of work with household finance and city financial we do a lot of consolidating, clean up the debt, whatever the case may be. At the end of one year, they would then qualify for a more conventional one-plus mortgage, which we put them into for a short period of time. And then by that point, their credit was rehabbing. We were able to get them into a AAA mortgage. And we had the system down pat, but it was just knowing, A, what the products were that were available and having a plan for the future. But we became very proficient at that. If you're going to work with accountants, understand exactly what it is that the accountants uh, are looking for. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the longer you're in the business, the better you are going to be at all these things. It may be that you're good at commercial. I'm not particularly great at commercial. I do some commercial deals. But if they're anything more than simple, I'm going to pass that off to somebody who is really good at it. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And it's just identifying what your areas of strength are and, uh, and running with them. That's really good. Well, JD, man, I really appreciate your time today. Where can people find you online? The easiest place to find me online is goodadviceforabetterlife.ca or uh, jsmith at dominionlending.ca. Awesome. Well, anybody listening who can get show notes, links to everything we talked about at ilovemortgagebrokering.com. JD, thanks so much for coming back on the show. It was awesome to hear sort of the next part of this story. And we'll keep you updated on how we're doing on our journey. And you've, you've given me some ideas that we're going to actually apply. So even to this conversation, there's some stuff that I'm going to go back to my business partner and say, hey, we got to start doing this. So and I'll let you know how that turns out. I appreciate it. I think that the, the stuff that you guys do is awesome. I think it helps a lot of people. Thanks, Jay. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. If you do, you'll get three deals in the next week. Okay, that's not entirely true, but we'd really appreciate it. Also, you can check out everything at ilovemortgagebrokering.com. See you next week.